The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. As you know, I lived in Mexico City in the early 1990s. I found the country and its people fascinating. The culture, nature, its ancient architecture, and last but not least, its mystery. There's so much folklore and legends, but many say that a lot of what is being passed down to new generations via oral tradition may have happened after all. What about the Mapimi Silent Zone, a desert patch in Durango, Mexico? In July 1970, the United States launched an Athena test rocket from the Green River Launch Complex in Utah towards the White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico. The rocket lost control and fell in the Mapimi Desert region. It was carrying two small containers of Cobalt-57, a reactive element. Legends include strange magnetic anomalies that prevent radio transmission, mutations of flora and fauna, extraterrestrial visitations, and a Mexican pilot who supposedly first reported that his radio experienced unexplained malfunctions while flying over the area in the 1930s. The area is sometimes compared to the Bermuda Triangle, as both are located between parallels 26 and 28. But tonight, it's the X-Files meet ancient aliens. Many Americans do not know that a whole other world exists right across their southern border. We'll examine the magic, the mysteries, and the miracles of Mexico. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Fabregas. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is author Robert Bido, who has over 30 years of experience in Mexico. As a student, as an employee for a large multinational corporation, and as an owner of an imports business, he was a professional researcher by trade from 1990 to 1993. And in addition to his MBA and BBA, he holds a master's degree in Latin American studies from the University of New Mexico. Robert was president of the San Diego chapter of Mensa from 2015 to 2016. Robert has also been running a podcast, a YouTube channel, Mexico Unexplained, since January of 2016. His website is MexicoUnexplained.com. Robert Bitto joins us directly from San Diego, California. Hello, Robert M. Welcome to Veritas. Hi, Mel. I've been a fan for years. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you on. And Robert, it's a treat for me. I have to admit, I was telling you offline, because Mexico has a, such a special place in my heart. I lived there in the 
early 90s, and you and I spoke a few weeks ago, and we have a lot of things in common, don't we? We, yes. you know, we both worked in the corporate world with a multinational uh, business there. We were sent to Mexico in the 90s, I believe you also. Uh, we then yes. became entrepreneurs, and we still have business and still visit Mexico. Tell us of your story and how everything began for you in Mexico. Well, I grew up in New Mexico. I was born in the same hospital as Donald Trump. I hope you don't get uh, too much flack for that. I'm used to but, it. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> I um, grew up in New Mexico. We moved out of New York when I was seven. So I grew up in New Mexico. And then um, from there, I did my university work and went to Mexico as an exchange student in the late 80s. And I was surrounded by a lot of art and, and arts and crafts, folk art and everything. And that put a bug in my mind to maybe one day traffic in in folk art and arts and crafts. But um, I got my degrees and then I got hired by a big multinational corporation whose headquarters was for Mexico was in Mexico City. And like you said, we talked about that off air and um so I was there for a little while in the mid-90s, and I came back to the States after being posted in Brazil for a little while. And um, after a few years, I got tired of the corporate life, and I had that whole idea of the arts and crafts business in my mind. And in 1999, I started the uh, Sueños Latin American Imports, and I've been doing that ever since. And the business has has allowed me to go to the really unknown places of Mexico and other parts of Latin America too. But um, specifically in Mexico, I go to places to get unique merchandise that no one else has. And while I've been doing that, I've come across a lot of interesting stories. I've seen some pretty weird things. And um, there's a lot that is in the Mexican press, the Spanish language press, I noticed that never makes it out of Mexico. I'm not, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the magazine called Muy Interesante. Of course. Yeah, I was, I had that magazine on a flight back to the United States. I was, you know, settling into my airline seat with that magazine and I flipped it open and saw crop circles that I'd never seen before and an article from a Mexican scientist talking about crop circles and I thought wow you know there's a whole world down there a whole world in Mexico that people don't know about in the English speaking world and so a few years ago, about four years ago, I came up with Mexico Unexplained, the podcast and the YouTube channel. And I've written several books since then, mostly compiling what I've what I talk about on the show. So that's basically my story. There's a lot to cover. There's so many things to pick from. As I always say, Mexico has the equivalent of so many things. There's uh, two Bigfoot creatures. There are lake monsters like the Loch Ness Monster. There are witches. There are shape-shifting creatures, kind of like um, the Skinwalker here in the United States. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, there's the Zona del Silencio, the Zone of Silence. And that approximates the Bermuda Triangle. So there's a lot to talk about. 
Just what one uh, quick story I want to tell uh, the audience. I told you this story because it happened right at the entrance of the headquarters of where you used to work. But uh, I always talk about the lady that foretold my future and the, the fact that the first time I met her, I had a pen on my pocket and she asked me f- for that pen and she brought it the next day. And that's when the whole thing started. But I've never told the story I was walking towards that office where you used to work, and outside there were hundreds of people walking, and I saw this pen on the floor, and nobody was taking it. And I thought, oh, I'll I'll pick it up and I'll take it. I mean, this is a mansion in the middle of Manhattan. You're not going to go like, who does this belong to? Because everybody's going to say it's mine. So I took it, and I've never lost that pen, but that is the pen that I've always used. I call it my lucky pen. But you, as a child, you grew up in New Mexico. Yes. You had some stories about your childhood. Why don't we go there first? Well, when I was 10 years old, I thought I saw La Llorona. And um, for those who do not know the legend of La Llorona, there was a movie that came out earlier this year that I have kind of a weird connection with. We can talk about that later. But um, basically, La Llorona... It's a legend that goes back hundreds of years to colonial times in Mexico. And it's a story of a beautiful young woman in a small town and she married a handsome guy and they had a couple kids and the man was in the military or he was away for a while, depending on the version of the story that you hear. And she heard that he was cheating on her. So to get revenge against her cheating husband... She took her two children to the river, to a stream, and drowned the children. When she threw them into the water, she had second thoughts. The kids were struggling in in the currents. She had second thoughts and tried to rescue the children, but it was too late. And so her ghost, her spirit, now lurks the banks of stream beds, arroyos, acequias, any place where there's running water. She could be there to snatch you. And that was a story that, you know, an urban legend, like a fireside campfire story that we heard in New Mexico all the time. And there are flash floods that go through dry arroyos that, you know, they go by fast and you don't even know there could it could be raining 15, 20 miles away and you're in the sunshine playing in the creek bed And then all of a sudden, a rush of water comes at you. And I've seen that as a little kid. So the story, you know, it's one of those cautionary tales that parents tell their kids, supposedly, right, to um, prevent them from playing in dangerous situations or in a dangerous place um, near potential flash floods. But when I was crossing an arroyo, we were going – it was a field trip to my teacher's house. And because the New Mexico school systems are, you know, underfunded or whatever, there wasn't a school bus that we could take to go to the teacher's house for her afternoons, you know, at her swimming pool that she promised us. It was in late May of, I believe, 1979. And we had to take city buses. So we had to take like three city buses to go to her house. And at the last bus stop, we had to cross an arroyo, a bridge over this arroyo called the Han Arroyo in Albuquerque. We crossed the bridge, and I swear, one of the kids in my class let out a very nice New Mexican expletive in Spanish, which I'm not going to repeat on air. Um, 
But he pointed and we all looked and there was a woman in the Arroyo who was hunched over and she was climbing up the embankment. And we were surprised. We knew who it was. We thought we did. And we took off running and we ran and ran and ran and we were laughing and, and we like stumbled over each other. We were just like exhausted from running and laughing because we really couldn't even believe what we saw. And um, so that's my experience. And then I was anticipating the movie that was coming out earlier this this year called The Curse of La Llorona. And I'm in the theater and I'm watching it and I'm looking around in the background of this film. And it's like, hey, there's merchandise from my business in this movie. And what happened is, and it's merchandise that I only carry. So I know it was mine. And it seemed like in about six scenes, there was merchandise that was familiar to me. And then I had figured out that the prop master of that film had bought merchandise from me a year and a half before and said that the movie was called The Children. And I guess that was the working title for the movie or the secret title for the movie. But it's really strange how things, you know, 40 years later, I'm in a theater in San Diego and watching this movie about a legend that I'm connected with. And there's my stuff that it's on the screen, right? But you there. did not was, know. You did not know. I had know. no that was, idea. Wow. I had no idea until I was in the theater. Yeah. Very so. interesting. My, my introduction to La Llorona was in the early 70s. My oh, parents wow. took us to the movie theater. I remember this movie because it was in Spanish and it was during the golden age of Mexican cinema. Yeah. And they were presented it. I was living in Puerto Rico at the time. And I don't know if you know who El Santo is yeah, or yeah, was the, the, the yeah, wrestler. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was yeah. like a legend there. <laughs> and it was El Santo uh, meets or fights La Llorona. But it was a very scary movie as a child, as a six, seven year old child. I oh, always yeah. remember that. And then I had uh, younger siblings who came after and I would just scare them at night saying, I mis hijos. You know how, they, how it goes. <laughs> and still to this day, my my brothers who are in their 40s now, they tell me I never forget that. And I still get scared <laughs> when I hear that. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So let's start dissecting your book because there's a lot to, to talk about. But I want to start with something that fascinates me and I want to learn more. The Mapi Me Silent Zone. You dedicate a chapter, but why don't you tell us what this is? Well, it's a biosphere reserve in Mexico, um, and it was set up 40-something years ago because the Chihuahua Desert, it's a very fragile ecosystem, and this area is very pristine. So they set up this ecosystem reserve, and how I learned about the whole zone of silence is I started poking around the internet, and I saw somebody had posted diaries of a park ranger who used to work in that biosphere, um, in that protected zone. And this, uh, this park ranger's name was Hector Alvarez and he disappeared in 2013, in April of 2013, people showed up for work and they saw his car there in the parking lot, but Hector was nowhere to be found, but they discovered his diaries and then they made it out to the internet. And 
that's how I found out about this. And, you know, like I said earlier, there's a lot of material that's not in English. It's out there in Spanish. So I'm bringing that to the English speaking world. But I saw these diaries in Spanish and the guy was describing triangles in the sky that were multicolored. Um, there was an incident at the park ranger station where all the computers went out. There was before the, all the computers went out, there was a white noise that the computer, each computer was, was emanating this white, this white noise was coming from these computers, even the ones that were turned off. And the, the motherboards were all fried and they couldn't fix the computer. So there were some weird things that were happening. There was a triangle that supposedly was burned into the wall. Um, he saw strange lights in the sky or whatever. And then, like I said, he disappeared. So, but as you mentioned earlier, there, there have been reports of anomalies in this area, at least into uh, from the 1930s. There was, you know, like I said, there's counterparts to everything, it seems like, in, in Mexico. So this is their Bermuda Triangle. They also had a Charles Lindbergh, and his name was Francisco Sarabia Tinoco. And he, he was, you know, just like Charles Lindbergh, he, had, he was a pioneer pilot. He had records and he experimented with different types of planes. And he, whenever he flew over that area, his compass would go crazy and he would, his radio wouldn't work. And unfortunately, he died in a, an air show, actually outside of Washington, D.C. in the United States, but uh, when his plane crashed. So he survived the zone of silence, but he didn't survive American airspace. But he was the earliest person to report those kind of anomalies like that. And then in the 60s and 70s, that's when, like you mentioned, the missile uh crashed there. It was supposed to go to White Sands, but it went hundreds of miles off course. The year before that missile crashed, there was a meteor that crashed there, and they called that the Allende meteorite. And so then people started to say that this area had vortexes and strange magnetic anomalies that would attract things like the missile, like the meteor, and would attract also extraterrestrial craft. And People for years have been citing in UFO lore what are called the Nordics, the tall blonde aliens. And they've usually spotted the Nordics in, um, in groups of three, two men and a woman. And they're very helpful. They're not nefarious. They're not like the greys. They want to abduct you or anything. They're very helpful and very kind. And they speak perfect, flawless Spanish. That's another thing that in each of the encounters that you hear. So there's that going on. People believe that after that missile crash, the United States government took a really deep interest into the area and some of the buildings that are in this biosphere reserve and some of the restricted areas that are restricted to supposedly protect some endangered plants and animals are really restricted because NASA has built or the other parts of the U.S. government have built secret research bases. And also, if we can keep going, some people allege that this area is also – it also serves as 
um, a place where there are openings to the underground. And for centuries, for thousands of years, actually, Mexicans have believed that there was an underground world. And there's a group. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.